Hey, good morning, MRCC. Thanks for joining us for our online Sunday service. Wherever you are, we just want to invite you to encounter God through worship this morning. Feel free to stand with us, or if you're sitting, go ahead and stay where you are. But you know, we are gathered together in spirit today. But our Father's presence is alive and well. So Father, we worship you. We recognize you as Savior. God, we offer up this praise to you. We ask that it would be anointed in your sight, Lord. Father, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us worship him together, church. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, yes. I believe that you are my fortress. You are my portion. You are my hiding place. Oh, I believe you are the way, the truth, yes, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, yes, the life. I believe through every blessing, through every promise, through every breath I take, yes, I believe that you are provider. You are protector, you are the one I love, oh, I believe you are the way, the truth, yes, the life, I believe you are the way, the truth, oh, the life. The life, I believe you are. Yes, you're so faithful, God. Oh, we believe it. Well, we declare these words to you. Yes, it's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. And you meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, well, they can all come too Because they can't stay long when I'm here with you Oh, it's a new horizon, and I'm set on you And you meet me here today with mercies that are new Oh, yes, all my fears and doubts, well, they can all come too because they can't stay long when I believe that you are the way, the truth, yes, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, oh, the life, the life. I it's a new horizon and I'm set on you and you meet me here today with mercies that are new oh yes all my fears and doubts well they can all come too because they can't stay long when I 
believe that you are the way, the truth, yes, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, oh, the life, the life. I believe you are. I believe you are through every battle. Oh, I believe you are. Oh, Jesus. Yes, I believe you are. Would you declare with your heart this morning? Yes, I believe you are, Lord. Yes, God. Father, we thank you. Lord, we recognize you as our Savior. We recognize that your grace is a gift, as it says in Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for this gift. It's the reason we sing. It's the reason we praise. Father, we declare love to you. We declare worship before you here and now, God. United as one, we praise you. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled. When striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. We will have no fear, God. We stand in your grace. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, Fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. Was laid here in the death of Christ. I live. You see, your resurrection has resurrected us to new life, God. We worship. There in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth. In glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
you sing this with me, church? No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Yes, God. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. There's no struggle too great. There's no adversary too great that can measure up to the power of the love of Christ. And Father, you call us daily to encounter this love, to walk with this love. So Father, we thank you for this gift. Lord, your presence is a gift. We thank you that we can worship now in your presence. In the light of the circumstances of this world, you still reign. So Father, we worship you and we praise you. In Jesus' name and as your church, we say amen. Amen, church. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Yeah, good morning, MRCC. It's great to see you. Uh, it's great to be together uh, this morning. We are together in spirit, if not in body, and that is even more significant than being together in body. I hope you've gathered with some family or some friends and uh, hope you brought your Bible. Uh, I asked this week of the Lord if there was something specific that he would have us remember uh, as we go through this season together. And I, I felt like he invited me to just take a step back from our series in Mark for a little bit here and talk about the reality of journeying through the wilderness, about the fact that God leads his people through the wilderness. And we're going to spend just a few weeks exploring that. Um, we're, we're talking about plans for Easter if this thing endures, and we'll be filling you in on those things going forward. But for this morning, let's uh, sit back and let God talk to us about the reality uh, of being led through the wilderness. And, and let me begin by saying this. Have you ever got more than you bargained for? I think we would all say that we've had that kind of experience before. I, I came across a website this week that, that listed some stories about people who got more than they bargained for. One of them was about a woman in San Antonio, Texas, who, uh, who ended up uh, getting arrested when she stopped to have an oil change at a quick loop. Uh, she came in in the middle of her day thinking it would just be a half hour and she'd be out again. But when the, when the technicians opened the hood of her car, they discovered 18 huge blocks of illegal drugs duct taped to the engine compartment. Turns out that her boyfriend was smuggling drugs and she got to spend a few weeks in jail while everything got sorted out. She got more than she bargained for. I read a story about a Seattle man, maybe you heard this, who spent several days in the hospital after police were called to arrest him for siphoning gasoline. He, he set out to do that, but he picked a motorhome thinking it would have a bigger fuel tank. And when he put the hose in and started sucking, he discovered that motorhomes have two different kinds of storage tanks and he was in the wrong one. 
Police found him curled up in a ball on the sidewalk looking sick. He got more than he bargained for. But maybe the, the favorite one that I came across was about a Dutch veterinarian who was fined for starting a fire that destroyed a farm in Lichtiverde in the Netherlands. Uh, the story goes that the veterinarian had been trying to convince a local farmer that his cow was passing dangerous and combustible methane gas. And to prove his point, he used a lighter to ignite the gas. But as it turned out, the cow had a lot of gas and it ignited and according to bystanders, the cow turned into a four-legged flamethrower for several seconds, setting fire to the hay in the barn. It all got out of control. The damage ended up being over $80,000. Uh, for those of you who have tender hearts, I'll add the side note, the cow was unharmed in this story. But we've all been there in that moment when we get more than we bargained for. And sometimes that's a good thing, like when you're going through your pockets in the laundry and you find $20 you didn't know you had. But sometimes it's not a good thing. And some of us have gotten more than we bargained for in some very unwelcome ways. Maybe as you sit here this morning, your mind goes back to the fact that on your wedding day, you didn't think your marriage was gonna end in divorce, but it did. Maybe when you moved to that new town, you had no idea it would be this hard to make friends, but it turns out that it is. Or maybe you started a friendship, never knowing that when you gave your heart to that person, they were going to die of cancer. Or maybe you became parents, never knowing that you would lose that child that you welcomed with so much joy. Getting more than we bargained for is something that happens to almost every one of us. And in some ways, this whole journey we're on right now feels like getting more than we bargained for. A week ago, we were talking about the, getting ready for Easter and spring and spring break and then the summer. And now all of a sudden, uh, we find ourselves in a very different place, in a place that feels a little bit like the wilderness that Israel experienced. Um, but here's the thing, church. Here's what God is saying to us right now is that when God leads his people to the promised land, he leads them through the wilderness. The way to the promised land is through the wilderness. The question is never, will there be a storm in my life? The question, if you're a believer, is never, will I be called to the wilderness? The reality is that we all will. Because when God leads his people to the promised land, he leads us through the wilderness. And the question is, the question for you and me now, this Sunday morning, this season, the question is, will I follow God through the wilderness? Not everybody does. And it's an important question to ask ourselves because there's something that happens in the wilderness that can't happen anywhere else. And God knows that, which is why when he leads us to the promised land, he leads us through the wilderness. James tells us in chapter one, uh, this very thing in a pointed way, the Bible says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
In other words, God says that the trials we face in our wilderness transform us. And it is in looking forward to that that we find our joy. We all know people who crumble under pressure, and we all know people who rise up and overcome it. For every person who crumbles, we can find one or ten who stand tall. The question is, how does that happen, and will we allow it to happen in us? Let's talk a little bit about the wilderness this morning, church. Through Moses, the Bible tells us, God invited Israel to escape slavery and to discover freedom. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and following. The scripture says, God is speaking to Moses. He says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, for I am the Lord. Let's realize what's happening in this moment is God is saying to the people of Israel, I will bring you out. I am going to redeem you from your slavery. That's what he does. He is a savior. His invitations to you and me have to do with deliverance from being set free from slavery to sin and all the consequences that come from sin. And how does he do that? He says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. That's an invitation to become someone different, to become someone new. It's an invitation to change your identity. I remember when I left home as a young man to go into the military, to go into the Marine Corps, and a huge part of my motivation was that I wanted a new identity. I wanted to become something more than I was. And I left in search of that. God is doing something like that with Israel, and he does something like that with all of us. He says, hey, come be my people. I will lead you to a promised land. I will lead you out of who you were, and I will grow you into someone new. My people, who I use in this world, not only to be blessed, but more significantly to be a blessing. Here's the question is, will we accept that invitation? He gives it to us while we're still in Egypt, and it's when we accept it that we begin to be rescued from Egypt. But here's the thing. When we accept his invitation, we usually make a bunch of assumptions. We bring a bunch of expectations, and that's where we can get in trouble. I remember when I left home to go into the Marines, I thought, oh boy, I'm going to go to boot camp and they're going to they're transform my body. It's going to be a physical change. They're going to make me, you know, bigger, stronger, faster, all this kind of stuff. What I learned when I got in was that the reality was very different. Uh, they didn't need to train our bodies much. They needed to train our minds and our hearts. And the focus was on preparing us from the inside out, not from the outside in. In the same way, when God sets out to deliver us, he wants us to discover that that deliverance happens from the inside out. When God promises to deliver you, what do you expect? Instant magic? An easy trip from one place to another carried on a cloud? A trouble-free transformation? Most do. Most people do. Israel probably did. Uh, 
Matter of fact, from their reaction to the actual experience of becoming his people, it's clear that they did. But God, having given that invitation to be rescued from slavery, led Israel first into a test of wills with a formidable enemy, Pharaoh, and then into a no-win situation, a, a dead-end box canyon with the Red Sea in front and Pharaoh's army behind. And then, after all that, he led them into the wilderness. They found themselves in the wilderness. And sometimes it's, it's that moment in the journey that throws us off the most. God led Israel out of Egypt and delivered them from slavery, but that deliverance meant that they found themselves in the wilderness. And the scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 16 that the Israelites looked around kind of like those penguins in Madagascar when they finally got to Antarctica. They looked around and said, well, this sucks. Israel has that kind of reaction in chapter 16, verse 2 and following. The Bible says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. This has got to be one of the most pathetic moments in Israel's history, in the history of the people of God. Listen to what they're saying. If only we had died, they said. I want to say yes, but then you'd be dead, and that would be the end of the story. They say back there we had pots of meat. Yes, but you would be dead. That's what you yourself said just a moment ago. They say we ate all we wanted. Yes, but you were slaves and groaning and crying out under that slavery. Church, this moment challenges us to ask ourselves, what is our ambition? What do we seek to be? Who are you hoping to become? I hope that your ambition is greater than merely to be safe and secure, to sit around pots of meat and comfort until you die. God has called us to much more than that. Remember what Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. You know, this moment is awful, but it's also a learning moment because in this moment we can see how self-pity can separate us from what God's doing in our lives. Self-pity can become an obstacle to the freedom that he's bringing us into. You know, the truth of the matter is that for all the awful experience of boot camp for me, I'm so thankful for it because I learned some things in it that I recognize now could never have been learned any other way. The Israelites say, you brought us here to die. And, and, and that's kind of the, the worst and most pathetic part of this moment. First of all, it was God who brought them there, not Moses. They accused Moses, but it was actually God who brought them there. There's a difference between God and your pastor, in case you haven't noticed. One's real and living and loves you with an undying love, and the other is just a sock puppet. Israel forgot that in this moment. But second, there's a big difference between, hear me now, between being led to something and being led through something. God is leading Israel through something, but they're responding as if where they are is what they're being led to. You know, in the very same way, you and me are constantly tempted to look around and say, God, why have you brought me here? 
Um, but he says, no, Greg, this is just a spot on the way there. This isn't a real destination. This isn't a real place. This is a place you go through in order to arrive somewhere else. Kind of like Buckley, right? Place you go through in order to, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, all right, give me a break. But seriously, church, understand something. God hasn't brought us to this time of crisis. God is bringing us through this time of crisis. And it is in understanding that that we find our faith, we find our courage, and we find our hope. Now, part of the reason he's doing this is because stuff happens to us in the desert that transforms us like nothing else can. Listen to your Bible again, James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, by the experience of persevering, you learn something that can only be learned through that experience. The question for today isn't where are we? The question is, where are you leading us, Lord? That's the focus. You know, when we stop and think about this for a moment, we find it everywhere in God's Word. Jesus didn't lead His disciples away from storms. He led them through storms. Mark chapter 4 tells us that beautiful story about the Lord crossing a lake. He's exhausted. He tells His disciples, we're going to go across the lake. And then in the middle of the night, that, that storm blows up. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The disciples panic. Have you brought us here to die? And they wake Jesus up and he says, no, of course, I'm bringing you through this. I want you, Jesus' plan, it's interesting to consider, was to sleep through that storm. He wasn't afraid of it. He wanted them to be unafraid of it. He wanted them to be sure of his leading so that when the storm come, came, they weren't afraid. But they became afraid and then he stilled the storm, not merely so they could have a comfortable trip, but so that they could know to never be afraid again when a storm comes up in His presence. Think about this for a moment, church. We want to be unafraid, and God wants the same thing. But we think that the absence of fear comes from the absence of anything fearful. God knows better. He knows that the absence of fear comes from faith. And so He calls us to it. I think of the human beings in the Pixar film Wall-E. Uh, they think that life is the absence of anything hard or difficult. And what they fail to grasp is that they have become slaves to fear in the process. And in, in Wall-E, it takes a robot to show them the difference. Jesus calmed the storm for the disciples so that they might learn to be unafraid, so that they might understand that where they are is not where God is leading them to, it's what God is leading them through. Grasp this, friends. Jesus did not say that he would calm every storm in your life, nor did he ever promise to lead you and me away from all storms. In fact, he said the opposite. He said storms are inevitable. Matthew chapter 7, the Lord himself speaking says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat, it fell with a great crash. Implicit in that teaching is the storm. It's coming. It will come. But what Jesus is inviting us to do is remember that God leads us not to it, but through it. If you're going to make sense of your wilderness, if you're going to find hope in the midst of it, you're going to have to begin by understanding that God's agenda is not merely to make you a passenger on his Wally spaceship. He has a much greater plan, which is to deliver you and me from slavery on the inside as well as the outside. To deliver us from fear, not by removing everything fearful, but by teaching us that faith rises above it. This is why he always calls his people through the wilderness. Michael Waltzer writes, the Exodus story teaches us three things. First, wherever you live is probably Egypt. Second, there's a better place and a better life. And third, the way to that promised land is through the wilderness. Because something happens in the wilderness that can't happen anywhere else. Israel spent 430 years in Egypt, Exodus tells us, and that's a long time to learn slavery. The wilderness is where they would unlearn it. You know, Jesus' ministry began in the same way, with a call to the wilderness. The scripture tells us in Luke chapter 4 that immediately after his baptism, at the very beginning of his public ministry, of his carrying out the mission God sent him to earth to carry out, the scripture says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan from that baptism, and he was led by the Spirit into the desert into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I always love that little note at the end there. We ask, why, God, why would you lead Jesus to the desert? And we ask that because we misunderstand what it takes to make us into a real difference in somebody else's life. Jesus' time in the desert was a preparation for his ministry. Hebrews tells us in chapter 2, verse 10, that our Lord was made perfect through his suffering. And it goes on in chapter 5, verse 8, to remind us that although he was a son, and therefore deeply loved, he learned obedience from what he suffered, from what he endured. As a result of his time in the wilderness, Luke tells us, chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Church, there is something that happens to us in the wilderness, spiritually, that doesn't happen anywhere else. And God is seeking to achieve that in us as we go through the wilderness. God's goals for Israel were very high. They were to become his people, his partners in outreach to a lost and hurting world, his hands and feet, to put it in a New Testament way. Israel was to become the spiritual equivalent of the paramedics, the fire department, the hospital emergency room, all rolled into one. And now we carry that same call. Now we, as followers of Christ, are the realization of that same call. The Bible says we are his ambassadors. Should we be surprised then that his training program is very rigorous? In our sober and sane moments, would we expect anything less? Church, understand this. God has high goals for us. And asking him to abandon those goals is asking him to stop loving you. He can't and he won't. And this is why the scripture tells us in Romans 8, verses 28 and 29, familiar passage, but let's put it in this context. 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, to, the, to be trained, to be shaped into the likeness of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many, problem, uh, among, among many brothers. You see, the problem, and here's where we kind of turn into the home stretch this morning, the problem is that we invent expectations. And so we are surprised by the wilderness. Ask yourself this, what sorts of expectations did you bring into your journey with God? H. Duffy of Livingston, Texas tells about watching her four-year-old pull a kitchen chair close to the wall because she was, the little girl was captivated by that familiar picture of a, an old man sitting at the table with his hands folded in prayer. You've seen it before. Mom noticed her intensity and says, what are you doing, honey? And her daughter said, I'm looking. And mom noticed when she said that, that there were tears in her eyes. What's wrong, honey? And the little girl looked back and said, he doesn't have any peanut butter. <laughs> you know, we create these expectations and then they control us and then they dominate us. God wants to remind us that the wilderness is what he leads us through in order to bring us to the promised land. The difference between expectations and reality is something that people rarely understand, and so they spend their whole lives in a cycle of excitement and disappointment, like Israel in the wilderness. But the wilderness will cure us of disappointment if we let it. It cures us by making us His people. You know, here's the reality, church. As we go through this season in our culture, God wants to use us in the lives of the people around us. He wants to use us collectively as his church, individually as neighbors and family and friends. He wants to use you in the lives of the people around you. And the question is, do you choose that identity? Are you willing to become that person? The wilderness is where that happens. It's worth asking ourselves as we get ready to close this morning, what are our ambitions? What are your ambitions? To have a skinny stomach, really, is that all? To get a bigger house, is that all? To play more video games or get more likes on social media or, or maybe to find some way to escape the suffering of everybody around you, is that all? The Son of God came to share our suffering. He came to give himself to us in the midst of our struggle. And so God calls us in the same way. There's something inside of you that seeks and wants much more than those small ambitions that I just listed. And it is when you own that, it is when you embrace that, that the wilderness begins to make sense. C.S. Lewis writes, to ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God would cease to be God. Because he is who he is, his love must be impeded and repelled by stains in our present character. And because he already loves us, he must labor to make us more lovable. 
We cannot even wish that he could reconcile himself to our impurities. It would be like a dog who, having learned to love his master, should wish that his master would then tolerate the snapping, flea-ridden, polluted creature of some wild pack that his nature would have made him. But what we call happiness here and now is not the end God has in view. Instead, he intends to make us like him, to be transformed by the wilderness into the people of God. Hope in the wilderness is found when you embrace this, but it will require you and me to die to ourselves. It will require us to die to our petty ambitions in this world. It will require us to surrender our plans and our expectations and many of the niggling little pleasures of life, a life of slavery like the pots of meat. Our expectations come from thinking that where we are, is where he's leading us instead of remembering that he's leading us through this wilderness and to the promised land of becoming his people. So let, let me finish this morning by challenging us. What do you want from this pandemic? I saw a meme that I thought was hilarious and captured the moment this week. It said this, your grandparents were asked to go to war. You're being asked to sit on the couch. You can do this. And there's some reality in that. But it is only when we choose to want what God wants for us that we find that freedom from fear. The wilderness is how Israel became the people of God. And in the same way, the wilderness is how we become the church. You know, when I look back on boot camp, I am so thankful for what I learned there and for who I became there. God is seeking to do the same thing in us as we follow him through the wilderness. So here's, here's his simple challenge to us this morning. Will you say to God, here we are, but I know you're leading us through this. God, lead me through this and do in me what you have promised that you will do in me. Transform me, make me your hands and feet. Make me one of the many brothers of whom Christ is the firstborn. Make us the church like never before. Not just because we gather in a building, but because we share the same spirit. Will you pray with me? God lead us through the wilderness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and, and we see in it so clearly how you called Israel to freedom. You called Israel to be your people, and then you called them through the wilderness. We hear James telling us that it's in the wilderness that we are transformed. We see the same thing happening in Jesus's life. And, and Lord, you are calling us to recognize that this time of crisis is a wilderness in which we become your people. So help us to own that. God, open our eyes to those around us we can serve, our neighbors, people are in, in need, God, in little ways, in big ways. Turn us into your people as we journey through this wilderness. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon. 
Thank you so much, church, for joining us for our online Sunday service. We hope that today's worship and message has blessed you. Uh, but before you go, we have a little bit of a song that we'd like to share with you. And as you listen, let the word speak to your heart as we wander through the wilderness in this season together. In the wilderness, in the wilderness, he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness. He gives grace sufficient to survive any test. And that's the painful purpose of the wilderness. wilderness we wander in the wilderness we weep in the wasteland of our wanting where the darkness seems so deep we search for the beginning for an exit is to home and find that those who follow him must often walk alone in the wilderness in the wilderness he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness and he gives grace sufficient to survive any test and that's the painful purpose of the wilderness mm-hmm. in the wilderness we're wandering for a way to understand in the wilderness there's not a way for the ways to become a man and the man's become an exodus the way to holy ground but wandering in the wilderness is the best way to be found in the wilderness in the wilderness he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness he's grace sufficient to survive any test and that's the painful purpose of the wilderness groaning and growing amidst the desert days the windy winter wilderness can blow the self away in the wilderness in the wilderness he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness he gives grace sufficient to survive any test and that's the painful purpose of the wilderness and that's the painful promise of the wilderness Have an awesome week, church. We will see you next Sunday. God bless you.